You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey everybody, Craig here. Just a little disclaimer at the top of the show. Uh, Matt and I were under the impression that the Chiefs new show, The Franchise, would have a new episode up this week. And to pull back the curtain a little bit, we recorded this on Tuesday night when we had some availability. And we were going to record the third segment of the podcast after the franchise aired. As it turns out, franchise did not have a new episode this week, so there's a couple references here, and there's a little bit of an abrupt ending now, so it'll be a little shorter than usual pod. I'll kind of come back and close it at the end, but for now, I'll let Maddie take it away and enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? I am not Ken Swanson. I am not lead film and draft analysis for AP Laboratory. I am Matt Lane. I am one of the three film and draft analysts for Arrowhead Pride. I am here with Craig Stout, and we are running the show once again without Kent Swanson, who decided that he needed another haircation. His hair was not on its A-game. No, I'm kidding. Kent Swanson's feeling a little under the weather today. He's being a responsible adult, taking care of himself, taking care of the under-the-weather child, and his family, so good for Kent. Me and Craig, on the other hand, decided to kick back, lock ourselves away, and do this podcast for everybody because this is what we enjoy. So with that in mind, Barley Hop on Twitter, Craig Stout, my friend, is here with me. Tell everybody how you're doing. I'm doing great. I love how that's painted like, yeah, Kent's home, taking care of his family, but me and Craig, we don't care about our families. Like... (laughs) Who cares? We're just doing this anyway, sort of deal. No, Craig and I both dearly love our families. We just also happen to love the Chiefs, and I don't know what that says about Ken at this point in time. However, mm-hmm. he's so getting complacent. All, all this Mahomes coverage, he he just thinks, eh, he's good. That's true. He's going on a cruise. He comes back from the cruise. He puts in a hard one week, and then he's gonna step out again. <laughs> It's like a he's, very, very hard week. I mean, think of all the things he probably did. He did his he hair. He built a tractor. He built a what? A tractor for his kid. Oh, that's right. He built a tractor that now, apparently speaking took, of which, we got to like sidetrack this. I need everybody to come at me here. On Twitter, you can go at Barley Hop too. Is replacing your entire brakes uh-huh. in your car routine maintenance, or is this something of a renaissance man move? On brakes your just and rotors, Sunday, you're not talking about you like replacing throw your calipers. Your car up on a jack in your garage that you hand built yourself, take <laughs> off the tires, replace your entire brake system, everything, one no. by one, piece by piece, as routine maintenance, or is this a skilled trait done by the one and only Renaissance man? You can let us know on Twitter. But we have to jump in here now. Before I do, guys, remember. Drop in, give us those five-star reviews. Everybody likes them. We enjoy them. We like to read them. 
if we get some really good ones, we'll read them on the podcast and give you a shout out. If you leave us a really bad one, we probably won't read it live unless it makes me chuckle. That's, I don't <laughs> encourage that. Stick with the five stars. That's the way to get on the pod. But what we're going to do here is we started the Summer of Spag series last week. We've been teasing it and talking about it here a little bit. But Craig, why don't you go ahead and quickly recap what you talked about last week? And then tell me what you got going on this week coming up in the summer of Spags. Well, uh, last week we we both kind of took a little bit of a look at some alignment stuff. Uh, I I am taking the secondary. Matt Lane is taking the front seven, and so we're splitting those up a little bit so we can both kind of cover things a little more in depth. We can look at things a little closer and give you guys more content, so that way you can you know have more information in your head. But last week, I looked at how Spagnolo likes to line up his cornerbacks, his safeties, and the type of responsibilities that he has them do, the types of personnel that he puts on the field when he goes with three cornerbacks, when he goes with a deep safety versus split safeties deep, the sorts of downs and distances, and various looks that he'll try and do with some press stuff, some zone stuff, stuff like that. Just trying to lay a little bit of a foundation there. That's what I did last week. This week coming up, I am going to talk about cornerback technique. I've gone through, I've watched Dave Merritt tape, I've watched Bagnolo tape, I've even gone back and I've got some Sam Madison gifts that I'm going to be putting out there. Some sweet, sweet Sam Madison gifts. Where else gonna... on the internet are you going to find gifs properly used here of Sam Madison playing football to break down Kansas City Chiefs and what you may to expect? None other than Barley Hop himself, the Renaissance man, will be putting this out there. Now, I want to jump back to last week real quick. You kind of were laying the foundation, and you were talking about kind of when you're expecting to see different looks, different plays from the cornerback in terms of their depth and the style of play they're going with. How different has this been from Bob Sutton's defense of last year, where I know you charted just about everything you could have? Ugh, um, it's more fun to watch. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll say that first and foremost, it's, it's a situation, uh, Bob Sutton tried to play single high as often as he could. He, he started kind of going towards split safeties at the end of the year when I think he realized that he didn't have the horses to run single high. That didn't mean that he didn't play 12 or 13 games with Ron Parker as the single high safety, but dark he, times. Oh my goodness, it is so painful. But Spagnolo tries to Spagnolo tries to put split safeties on long down and distances and then on these early downs, first and tens or short downs, seconds and fives, thirds and threes, he likes to bring that safety in the box as an extra run defender, kind of help fill some extra gaps particularly against 12 and 21 personnel just adding another body in there into the box i know maddie you've looked at some of that as well but that's completely different from bob sutton that liked to always have that safety in the box sometimes in the dime like that's when we'd see those split safeties they bring that guy into the box in the dime sometimes even bring in another safety down into the slot and still playing single high but this is a situation where you're going to see a lot more 4-2-5 nickel with a lot more split safeties with about 10 yards of depth. They play the sticks better. It's not just forever away. There's just a lot more common sense that happens with it. 
And then also just a crazy amount of blitzing from 10 yards deep. Crazy amount of blitzing. For sure. And I'm sure you're getting to it. Like you said, you're talking about technique a little bit this week. And I think you said you're doing safeties two weeks from now. Yes, correct. Safeties and maybe just touch a little bit on linebackers. I know you're doing linebackers as well. Yeah, and for the safeties, I do want to clear up. When Craig's saying split safety, he doesn't mean that both safeties are consistently going to be sitting 15, 20 yards deep on any given play. As we get more into coverage stuff and he starts talking about technique, you're going to see that there's oftentimes only going to be one safety that you're going to want to call deep, but the responsibilities and the look is still a too deep look here. So now you said this week coming up, we got some cornerback technique. So kind of what are you looking at there? What are you looking for in terms of the difference between outside corners, slot corners, and what are we expecting to see once we get into camp? Well, I I think what you're going to see is you're going to see your slot corners play a lot more of an apex role. They're going to play a lot more of the flats, and they're not necessarily going to be carrying people in man very often whereas your boundary corners are going to appear to be in man a little more often in some of these match schemes where they get different route distributions that send them on on various you know man coverages against guys what you tend to see is a lot of open stances uh not necessarily up on the line in you know tight coverage there's still some of that he still plays some press man but it's a lot more of a three or four yard spacing and open stances with kind of maybe their back to the sidelines and shuffling back and reading the quarterback through the number two receiver. That's what the that's the way the boundaries are going to play. We're going to highlight some of that this week. We're going to discuss that. Dave Merritt actually plays a little bit different than that. He 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 plays a little bit more of a uh, step replace, as Maddie calls it. You know, these a little bit more of these read steps to try and evaluate the route before flipping and turning. So uh, they've got a couple different ways that they're probably going to ask their cornerbacks to play but all of them tend to lend themselves well to Steve Spagnuolo's zone schemes which a lot more zone than Bob Sutton played yeah and what I'm kind of getting here that I think Chiefs fans are going to be real excited about is you're going to have a lot more times where these defensive backs these corners are playing with their eyes not only on the receiver but also looking to the cornerback quarterback and therefore the football so Mm -hmm. you're going to have less plays where you're going to have Kendall Fuller trying to play the ball over his shoulder or all those plays where we have Steven Nelson, who isn't on the Chiefs anymore, but trying to catch the find the ball over his shoulder and track it downfield. You're going to get these cornerbacks playing with a little bit more eyes on the ball in the quarterback, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's the case. It's not going to be a situation as often with a guy trying to chase or with a guy playing with his back to the quarterback immediately off the snap. I mean, eventually, if there's a fade route, a vertical route, that, that, that quarterback will have to turn and eventually have his back to the quarterback. But I'm talking about like underneath coverages, you know, slants, digs, things like that, that are going to be more underneath routes you're not going to have a cornerback that's shielding himself from, you know, from the quarterback in between the quarterback and the route. He he's more going to be sitting on top of the route with his eyes in the background with an ability to drive on the ball. He know he's going to be able to see where the ball's coming and he's going to be able to drive on the point where the ball is in the route. Mark Fields does that well. Rashad Fenton actually does that 
pretty well as well. That's one of the reasons why they liked him, why they went out of their way to get him, because he plays with some of this technique already. It will be a stark difference for some Chiefs fans that are used to seeing Bob Sutton and a little more press-heavy defense and a little more back to the ball. But honestly, it it makes more sense with shorter passing game and quarterbacks wanting to get the ball out quicker to play a little bit more like this. No, for sure. I'm excited to read about it. I, I've looked at a lot of the just general defensive play from Steve Spagnuolo, but I haven't got as deep into Dave Merritt. Definitely haven't dialed up any Sam Madison all 2020. Oh, it's that great. Existed. Sam Madison's ta- tape is great, man. Sweet, sweet Sam. Well, I haven't gotten back that far yet, but I'm still excited to read it. I love learning about new defenses, new techniques, so I'm glad you have that all coming out. Anything else you want to touch on this upcoming week before I move on and kind of talk about the front a little bit? No, man. Everybody wants to hear about the fronts anyway. Like, I, I'm just I'm just literally bringing up the rear of the defense right now. People are interested in coverages, but we get way more questions about the fronts than anything hey, man, else. It's- it's 2019. It's all about the rear anymore, okay? I, <laughs> all right, I, so. hope somebody, I hope somebody pulls that clip. That was clean. That was a nice clean. Yeah. Speaking of the, uh, the fronts here. So, yeah, I'm focusing kind of on your defensive linemen and your linebackers, but more so versus the run or kind of on blitzes. It'll kind of be crossover when we talk about linebackers in terms of coverage and stuff like that. But the first week, I kind of went a different approach than Craig did just because of the position groups and the difference. I took just the base defense, the 4-3 defense of the Chiefs or Steve Spagnuolo's time with the Giants and just kind of broke it down into his basic tendencies so we could kind of get an idea of what the Chiefs might try to do. So we're looking at when the 4-3 is being used, which is against heavier personnel, 12, 21 personnel, you know, when you have multiple tight ends or a fullback on the field with a running back. And that's really about the only time you're getting it. You're not getting the 4-3 defense when the other team is looking to have a pass advantage. That's not it's not going to be played then. We can be as worried as we want about a bigger linebacker or a strong side linebacker in coverage. They're not going to be out there covering wide receivers on the regular. It's just not what's going to happen. And I went through to kind of look at when the personnel is being played. So your Mike linebacker, we've talked about this about three weeks in a row now. Your Reggie Ragland or Anthony Hitchens. They're playing one down. They're playing in the 4-3. They're playing the Mike linebacker then coming off the field if it stays true to what was done in New York. That's your rotation there. The Mike and the Sam are going to be one-down players for the Chiefs if it stays the same. And then we just kind of went on to talk about different alignments, when the Giants did an overshift, when they did an undershift, why those were advantageous. We looked at some plays where they were successful because of them, talked about the strengths and the weaknesses of each, just to give the Chiefs fans an idea of when they see this defense trotted out there, what the goal is going to be. And then next week, this week coming up, we're going to do the same thing, but we're starting on the nickel defense. And I know that's what everybody wants to talk about with these two fast linebackers, Mm -hmm. Dorian O'Daniel and Darren Lee. Yeah. Um, Let's let's go over this. Uh, Just for those people who maybe missed the article, first of all, Go back, find it. It's great. Uh, Summer of Spags, the front seven is Steve Spagnuolo's 4-3 scheme. Can you give like a real quick hit on the difference between a 4-3 under and a 4-3 over shift? Yeah, so your 4-3 under shift, you're going to find the strength of the offense, the running strength of the offense. So wherever they have the most blockers, which is usually going to be determined by where the tight end or the fullback, whatever side of the formation they're on, and if not, the wide side of the field. I know we're going long now, but this is the laboratory after all. Hey, it but, works, man. 
you're going to find the offensive strength and you're actually going to shift your defensive line the opposite direction. So your three tech, your farther outside defensive tackle is going to play opposite of the strength of the offensive running attack and your nose tackle is going to play to the tight end side, let's say. And that's the undershift. What you're trying to do there is you're making sure that when plays are run to the strength of the offense, you have enough players on the backside to crash across the formation, deny cutback lanes. You're using this against zone teams that are trying to look to cut the ball back into open lanes once they get the momentum of the defense flowing towards the boundary. Your overshift is the opposite. You're putting the nose tackle on the weak side of the offensive formation, your three techs on the strong side. Now this is more useful against teams that run the power, maybe some counters. And what you're trying to do here is simply just spill the play. You're constantly trying to plug gaps with more players, bigger bodies, trying to force the runner all the way to the sideline where you also have your defensive end kind of playing as a force player, forcing the ball back inside. And these principles, these spill players, these force players are what make this defense work against the run, whether we're going to be talking about the nickel or we're going to be talking about the base. These philosophies matter because Steve Spagnuolo will be undermanned to play the run when he gets to the nickel plenty often. And when we get to techniques in this upcoming week, we're going to talk about the importance of these force players, the players that are filling these gaps on the interior. So we're just kind of setting it up. The base defense is the base of the defense. This is what starts it all. Everything changes and builds from there. So that's why we wanted to start with the base, even if you're only going to see it 20% of the time. Right. And and you, you want to be in that situation where you understand it, because I know we all jumped to try and find information about the 4-3 under. And then the more we look, it's like, oh, well, Spag's still plays a traditional 4-3 stack. He plays an over. He plays a little bit of everything, which, I mean, makes sense based on the personnel that he's got there. But yeah, one of the questions, you you mentioned that this week you're going to talk a little bit about the nickel. One of the things that we get brought up to us the absolute most since Darren Lee has been signed, and the absolute most, I think this question is number one on our sheet, will we see Dorian O'Daniel and Darren Lee as your two nickel linebackers, you know, more traditionally, not just in situations, but are those the guys that will be on the field in the nickel usually? See, I don't think so. I think you will get some situations where you can put them two out there together when you get into third and really long, maybe even second and long after some penalties. But your traditional nickel defense, kind of your, yeah, your traditional nickel defense, I don't think so. Beyond just having the continuity between the base and the nickel in terms of play calling, somebody has to call the plays on both of those. It's usually so a linebacker. Somebody has to, has, the, has to have the dot. I mean, they're not going to yeah. run around and switch a bunch of helmets around. That's not how no, it works. No, and that's the rule. You get one person with the dot and you get another player that's the backup. The issue is the backup player can't have that helmet on his head while the primary player is on the field. So if it's going to be Tyron Matthew, let's say, he would have to run off the field, switch his helmet, and come back onto the field. So it's either that or you're giving two different linebackers the dot. And I'm not at the point where I trust Darren Lee or Dorian O'Daniel to make these calls over and over again. So I think you see Hitchens. And more so than just the play calling aspect, in the nickel, this is going to be against 11 personnel. This is your three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back personnel. 
that can be a running formation. You can run the ball out of 11 personnel. Oh, How yeah, the Rams about Los that. Angeles Rams, that is what they do. <laughs> The New England Patriots, that is what they did mm-hmm. with Rob Gronkowski. This is how you can run the ball in the NFL. you got to have linebackers for this defense that can play interior gaps. You still have to go back to that spill aspect. You still have to have guys out there that can fill an A or a B gap and force a runner outside from the nickel. You put Dorian O'Daniel and Darren Lee out there, mm. I'm not sure you have that covered anymore. You have two light, fast guys that may not be seeing the game super quick right now, and you're asking them to plug holes over and over again, that's not going to be what's going to be a working formula, and that's not what Steve Spagnuolo has done traditionally in the past. Right. And So you're talking about from from the perspective of when Lee and Dorian O'Daniel could be on the field together, those are situations where run is not expected, correct? At all. Yeah, that's when you're getting a draw at the most. So you're talking second and 15 plus and third and 10 plus. Right. And even then, you're most likely going to get an extra defensive back and probably Anthony Hitchens or maybe one of those two guys on the field. The best case scenario to get both of them on the field is going to be three defensive linemen and then some form of two linebackers set behind that where you're just showing a bunch of pressure trying to confuse the offense with a zone blitz type look rather than a traditional 4-2-5 kind of nickel. And he still, I, I saw that he used a 3-3-5 nickel often enough. It, it was it was worth noting. It's not always 4-2-5. 4-2-5 is definitely the primary nickel that he uses. But yeah, that, that 3-3-5 does show up. And I think, you know, Chris Jones, Frank Clark, Alex Okafor, that ain't a bad little three-man rush. Like, I'm okay with that. Yeah, in the 3-3-5, and maybe I'll find out more, and you've seen a little bit more, so we'll have to compare notes there. I didn't see a ton of it either. Like It was kind of a one play every couple of games that I found of it. Sure. What I saw a little bit more was three down guys, and you'd get Olivier Vernon or Jason Pierre-Paul just kind of awkwardly standing next to the nose tackle <laughs> that looked like a linebacker. And when I saw three down linemen, I still mostly just saw one or two linebackers but I'm not saying it's not there, yeah. and I'm not saying he won't do it for sure. But you will see when you when I go the week after the nickel, we're going to get into dime and long passing situations. We're going to talk about the dime. We're going to talk about these weird formations that I just don't even know how to label at this point in time. Yes. So that is coming up, followed by the technique talk, which I'm sure is going to bore some people. But that's also where the fun stuff is when you get to learn how these guys have to play to accomplish these goals that we're talking about right now. For sure. And it helps you kind of put some of the logic behind why a lot of these players were acquired, why they're doing some of the things that they're doing when you're watching the games later this year. But now I'm excited. I'm excited to read your stuff. Oh, same here. And thank you guys. This is a quick update on the summer of Spags. We were going to happily bring you guys more as the summer continues to roll on. Now we're going to take a quick break. So hang on and we'll be right back with a new segment thought of today. So hold on tight. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. 
so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back to the AP Laboratory. We are back with Craig Stout and myself, Maddie Lane. If you didn't remember, Kent is on a semi-short hiatus right now. He's fixing some stuff, a little sick, taking care of his kid, his wife, all that fun <laughs> stuff, his hair. We can't put that, we can't leave that out. But now it's time for a new game. And this is kind of a game I thought up just on the fly, but it's something that has to be done. I think everyone's played a version of it. We're going to call it Buy, Sell, or Float. And float just essentially means you just want to wait and see. You don't really, you're not dismissing the narrative at all, but we're not willing to say, yes, it's true yet. And these are buy, selling, and floating Chiefs off-season narratives. These are things that we've heard recently from direct contact on Twitter, just general vibes that we've seen out there from Chiefs fans in national media, wherever you want to come from. These are these narratives about the Chiefs out there right now. And I want to kick it off with one that I'm buying I am buying the Juan Thornhill hype. And this kind of started with a couple Twitter followers, Chiefs fans that liked Juan Thornhill before the draft, picked up steam with other Chiefs fans once he was drafted, but it hit the all-time high when you heard Chiefs coaches talk about him. And then Lewis Riddick was very complimentary of Juan Thornhill on Twitter, out in public. He was talking about how this guy's going to be a stud. And that comes from the Chiefs coaching staff. We've talked about it before. Lewis Riddick gets information from Andy Reid. They're close. Not that he's leaking information to him, but they're close friends. Mm -hmm. They talk. If Lewis Riddick's saying it, somebody has mentioned something about Juan Thornhill being good. Take it to, to the him. bank. Like that yes, thing this that's was happening. Ferrari Pat. This was a he was a big Pat Mahomes early on. And I know a lot of us were. A lot of us are Juan Thornhill fans. So I'm buying the Juan Thornhill hype. I think you kind of heard it in Dave Tobe's voice when he was saying, yeah, right now he's a four core <laughs> special teamer, but right if now, he gets that yeah. starting job, yeah, he's not going to be anymore. Then we'll figure it out. But that's pretty much just saying, hey, we're not going to go ahead and crown this rookie a starter, but he's a starter. That's how I took it. 
I think Juan Thornhill's looking good to these coaches. I think that is the takeaway I'm getting here. I love his game. I think he fits this scheme very, very well. And he's got a great group around him with Tyron Matthew. Reggie Ragland seems to be taking a step forward as a leader. Frank Clark's motivating these guys. I think Juan Horst Thornhill is fitting in, and I think he's ready to go. I would be surprised if he doesn't have a very good rookie season. I, I would as well. I, I think that ever since he set foot in this building, he's done everything in his power to to be that guy, like absorb everything that he can. We've seen that. We, we've seen the way that the people talk about him. We, we don't hear people talk about Colin Saunders this way. We don't hear people talk about Miko Hardman this way. They were all they were drafted very close to each other. Regardless of how you think about those players, this isn't just blowing smoke on a player. This is a guy that came in and I think is doing things the way that this organization likes. I think that he's performing at a high level. We've heard Pat talk about him, and that's you know Pat, Pat very rarely singles out individual players. Pat has talked about him so. I think that the sky is definitely the limit for him and, you know, Lewis Riddick. You just take it to a bank. I mean, that's that's what it is, man. Yeah, and even going along with Riddick, and you don't want to put too much stock into kind of draft season projections, mm-hmm. but there's more than just Lewis Riddick, guys connected to the NFL in their past that have come out and said pre-draft, post-draft, that Juan Thornhill was a guy that they were higher on than most. So there's just something about him as a person, as a player, that kind of exudes this confidence and guys that have been around the league to say no he's got it like he's a guy that gets daniel jeremiah calls him my guy stamps that they used to put in their raven scouting department i feel like juan thornhill got a lot of my guy stamps from different people that i really respect that have ties to the league so i'm buying in on that offseason narrative that he is going to be a dude for the chiefs this year what about you craigery you know who else put a my guy stamp on juan thornhill oh the ap draft team oh yeah we did put a My Guy stamp on him. Ah, you guys are welcome. Oh, yeah. I believe that that was a move made by yours truly. Oh, yeah, yeah. No. Anyway, uh, me, I'm buying, and I, I, this this is a little bit risky here, but uh, Patrick Mahomes will be even better this year than last year. That's right. A top three quarterback season of all time. He will be even better. Eric Bieniemy is hinting at it constantly. Talking, we about- need a, we need our producer to add an air horn sounds right now after. This- <laughs> Nailed it. Good job, producer. Yeah, uh, Eric Bieniemy hinted at it when when they talked to him this past week. He discussed how they're throwing everything they can at him. They're trying. They're, you know what was the quote? Uh, I believe it's he can be coached hard. I think that was the exact quote. He can be coached hard, and we are. Like, they're not taking it easy on him. Pat, we know, has a unique preparation to the game and that he's already kind of developed like a vet. He's trying to get in as much film work. They Andy Reid put up a cut-up of things he needed to work on, and he's just absorbed that. Like, he he's really thrown himself into that. On top of that, Steve Spagnuolo is throwing new looks at him. Steve Spagnuolo is trying to hit him with everything that he can to throw him off of his game. Patrick Mahomes, I think, might get even better preparation this year than he had last year in his first season ever. And I get it. You want to talk about regression and everything like that. 
the odds say that there's no possible way he can throw for 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards again. I get it, and I hear it, and I'm a logical being. I, I understand all of that. But, man, they are setting him up to be in the best possible position to succeed, regardless of his the talent around him. They're, they're hitting him with everything that he needs to be even better this year. I am 100% buying that, especially coming out of Eric Bieniemy's mouth. Yeah, and one of my favorite parts of the Bieniemy kind of talking point there was how Mike Kafka, Bieniemy saying the saw it, they talked to Pat about it, his footwork in the pocket. Not got bad, but got a little bit lazier. Got a little sloppy because he kind of realized that he didn't have to always be perfect with it. He could make throws without having perfect footwork. He could get away from the pocket. Now, they didn't exactly say that. They just said that his footwork was becoming less consistent. So they hammered it. He, they went to Pat. They said, hey, this is what you were doing. This is what you're doing now. See the difference here. You know, We don't like this. Not that it's making you play poorly, mm-hmm. but this could be better. Pat's been working on it. He took that in. He agreed. He said he sees what they're talking about, and he's worked on it. And while we don't know what he's actually done personally, I have no reason to believe that Pat did not go home or stay extra late and fix that day after day after day. Tornado, hurricane, it doesn't (laughs) matter. He's out there working on his footwork in the pocket. And it can only help having Brendan Daly, a guy that kind of took advantage of that sometimes inconsistent footwork in the pocket, Mm -hmm. now on the other side of the ball. And Pat's talked about it. The intensity of the defense, even in OTAs, is a little different this year. That's only going to push him even more. There's just a little bit more fire that he's having to deal with. So I'm with you. I think this is a great take by you here. I it just uh, he's approaching it with a completely different fire. I just you can hear it, you can feel it in his voice, and it's not necessarily confidence, but it is competition. Like you hear him talk about the defense, and you can kind of hear there's there's a slight bit of edge there. Like he's a little pissed off. Like he talked about, oh, I gifted Kendall one, and you could just kind of hear the 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 media pat voice drop away a little bit, and, and the competitive pat voice come out a little more. Like he's not okay with even throwing interceptions in practice. I I think that they're hitting him with everything. I just he's gonna come out like a house on fire and I'm I, I, we might see a completely better version of him. All right. House is on fire. Better Patrick Mahomes. What is not to like? Well, what is not to like <laughs> is this off season narrative that Craig is about to sell down the river so fast. Okay. I, this is from uh, one of our, one of our fellow listeners here. SoCal 1186 said that one of the narratives that he sees is that cutting Eric Berry was a huge loss. And I am selling that completely down the river based on what we saw of Eric Berry last year through maybe no fault of his own, maybe you know sickness, injury, whatever the case may be. It just isn't a situation that was very good. I'm selling that down the river, but I'm going to attack this on the end with Justin Houston and D Ford as well, because get them. We are going to hear for the entire year comparisons between Justin Houston, D Ford, Frank Clark, and Alex Okafor. Like from the national media, you're going to be watching a game. You're going to hear the announcers in the booth speak to, well, D Ford has seven sacks, and they and Frank Clark only has five, so they traded away the better player. 
this is not going to be the case. As Matt alluded to in in the first segment of this podcast, Steve Spagnuolo asks his defensive linemen to do an awful lot up front. And we've kind of touched on this before, that he asks these guys to shift in and outside of tackles, play from wide nine, play all the way in as far as five tech or four eye. These are going to be situations where these players are going to be asked to do completely different things. D Ford could go out and have seven sacks at San Francisco as a wide nine player, but D Ford is not going to be able to line up as a five tech, whereas Frank Clark, conversely, is going to be able to line up as a five tech and produce inside. This is going to be something that we're going to hear all year long, not just this offseason. We're going to be hearing people comparing them as their box score stats, PFF stuff. That's fine. I mean, I understand that that's all out there, but keep in mind that the usage of these players is completely different between D Ford and Justin Houston and what Alex Okafor and Frank Clark will be asked to do in this defense. Not trying to say one's better than the other. I just, we're going to hear about it. We're going to have a box score scouting. We're going to have a lot of comparisons. And that's already happening. Like when you talk to people about it, you're already getting statistical comparisons from Justin Houston and D Ford and Frank Clark from even last year or the year before, as if the two, three players kind of played in the same field, as if they didn't play in entirely different defenses, Mm -hmm. asking different things of them with offenses focusing on one guy more or one guy less than the other players. And I get it. That's kind of one of the ways that you can objectively compare the players. So I understand the urge to do that. Oh, for sure. But you can't use that as a blanket statement to say the Chiefs messed up here or the Chiefs succeeded here. You have to look at the whole picture. And like Craig said, Frank Clark is going to play an entirely different defensive end type role than what Justin Houston or D Ford have ever played in Kansas City. We haven't seen those two guys do what Frank Clark's going to be asked to do. Whether they could be better or could not be better, I don't know, Mm -hmm. but they're not going to do it with the Colts. They're not going to do it with the 49ers. Frank Clark's going to do it here, so it's kind of a hard comparison to make. You kind of have to watch the film and use the stats together. And not that people aren't doing that already, but you don't want to get the PFF pass rush grade of player B, compare it to Frank Clark and say, oh, the Chiefs messed up when you don't aren't looking at what player B is having to do to get that production number. Yeah, it, so it's going to be a long narrative. Yeah, and this isn't even trying to like crap on PFF stats or anything like that. That's not what this is Correct. about at all. No. I'm I'm just saying that you when you are listening to people talk about it and they're using those sorts of things, it, it, those can be taken and those can be used for good and used in situations that can help Prove your point and add to the discussion for sure, but you have to have it with that caveat because they are, even though they're both playing four, three defensive ends, they're not playing the same types of techniques, the same types of usage, things like that. I am selling that completely down the river. We're going to hear it all year long, and I'm already tired of it. Oh, yeah. No, that's going to make a a long season. And it's kind of, I mean, obviously, I hope Frank Clark has great success just because he's a chief and I like him as a player. But even more so, I don't want to have to see these comparisons over and over again and how the Chiefs messed up when Frank Clark does, in fact, play very well and fulfills exactly what they want. But D Ford maybe repeats his sack production because he's playing off the weak side of a 4-3 defensive end 
in that 49ers defense that also has a Bosa and a DeForest Buckner and a revamped Solomon Thomas. Like, that's a good pass rush. D Ford winning one-on-ones off the backside from a wide nine is not the same as what Frank Clark may do here. I just want people to know that when they use these stats. Mm -hmm. And so here's a narrative that I'm selling. And this is more of a broad one. I don't have a specific person that's going out here for this. But I've heard more and more frequently the Chiefs are set at cornerback, mostly because Charvarius Ward's about to be a stud, but also because they like Bashad Breeland and Kendall Fuller. This is something I simply can't get behind. Charvarius Ward had a quality game against the Seahawks, but he still fell short time and time again of actually making the play. We can credit him for being in the right spot and say it's promising. You still got to find the ball. You still have to make a play on the ball for me to give you full credit. When it happens six times in a game, that's no longer good. That's showing a lack of an ability during that game. Like You have to make the play at some point in time. He had other games that were up and down. He's not bad by any means. He's shown promise. I'm excited to see what he brings. But nothing Charvarius Ward has done should make you feel comfortable with cornerback. Bashad Breland had his best year three years ago in the slot. Two years ago in the slot. He's now not going to be playing in the slot. He's only here for one year. Kendall Fuller, also only under contract for one more year. The Chiefs skipped over most of this offseason without giving him a new contract. We're not set at cornerback. The Chiefs are telling you we're not set at cornerback. They've said it time and time again. You shouldn't believe we are set at cornerback. You can like some of the guys they have for this year, but it's not a loaded group. There's some young guys, but there's not a ton. There's some guys that have been good in the past, but again, it's kind of a limited role. This cornerback room needs some help, and just because we haven't got it doesn't mean you have to panic, but you also can't feel like we're set because of what Ward may be if he can capitalize on his best play 100% of the time. I just can't buy into that, and it's a narrative that I feel like has been picking up steam lately, and I think that one training camp or OTA video of him finding the ball has a lot to do with it. And I just got to remind people, he was also getting beat by undrafted free agent coming off of an Achilles tear Felton Davis out of Michigan State before he reached up and found a slightly underthrown ball. And it's an OTA video, guys. We got to back off on the one-play scout there. Be excited for Traverius Ward. Realize we need cornerback help. No, I'm completely with Maddie there. And I'm even the guy that said that I believe we had a great question last year about if there's one player that plays excellent that can take this defense up to the next level that it would be Ward because I I still believe that to be true but that's asking a lot and I've even said at one point that all three of these cornerbacks need to play at their best in order for this to be a truly a really good stop unit on that side of the ball they can still be good but I mean that's the thing that will take them up to the next level they just don't have a whole lot of depth even if Charvarius Ward plays really well, the cornerback group is still not good. Like Matt said, it just you don't have anybody under contract next year. You can't be asking to try and fill this many positions, I say, after Brett Veach fills you know, seven of the 11 starting positions this past offseason. But you can't reasonably expect that they're going to just go out and make wholesale changes at that position and spend a lot of money in free agency, a lot of draft capital to try and go out and get a guy. I just, Charvarius Ward for me is a good player and he'd be a great CB4 with developmental upside if they can bring in another guy. And then all of a sudden you don't have to rely on Bashad Breland 
Charvarius can come in as your CB3 in that situation. No, absolutely. There has to be more proven commodities ahead of him, and you need more people on the roster following this year because even if all things go great for you right now, you still have to replace at minimum one of these guys for next year if not two of them. So there's no way that you can feel competent in this cornerback group, comfortable with them to go out there and be competent this year and next year based on what you've seen. Hopeful, yes, but confident, I don't see it. And especially we talked about, I talked about OTA scouting. Go watch some of the Browns videos. Odell Beckham Jr. is out there looking fantastic and Baker Mayfield can actually throw the ball unlike Eli Manning. Like you don't scout OTA seriously, but... Can you imagine anybody on this team stopping Odell Beckham Jr. from having 100 yards right now? Because I can't. He He's he's a great receiver, so not many corners in the league can. But do you have confidence in anybody on this team attempting to slow him down by themselves? Well, speak, speaking of what Matt was saying there, stay tuned for our OTA breakdowns. We're going to break down all these one-on-one plays against air and... Kinda... <laughs> all right, I'm changing my off-season narrative selling to that. <laughs> I'm selling us bring down... So we are on now to the floating. The narrative that I just kind of want to hold off on, I got to get more information. I can't sell it yet, but I'm definitely not going to buy it. And this is from our guy, Countryboy567. The Chiefs are full of criminals. And this is a little bit of a more heartfelt topic. I know some people are very upset by some of the moves the Chiefs have made this offseason and the kind of characters that they have brought in. And I get it. I understand where you're coming from. The Chiefs have brought in some guys that are edgy, to say the least, on and off the field. Some of these guys have very, very bad pasts. Some of them are just very aggressive and fiery on the field. I look at it this way. The Chiefs are building a football team. I understand off the field stuff matters. It's going to affect them on the field at some point in time. But the Chiefs are building a football team. If they feel comfortable with these players off the field and on the field, it doesn't matter how edgy, how criminal and most of these guys are not criminals let's be very clear here too like they have made mistakes some of them are but not everybody these guys can be edgy they can be the bad boys of the nfl you are allowed to have a team that flirts on the edge of being a little over the top on the field you got to be able to rein them in i have been told that being the bad boys in this day and age isn't the move you you can't be vontae's perfect (laughs) yes i mean you can he's still making money but but is he? I think he's paying back more than is he's he? making, actually. <laughs> but um, no, and there's a line. And I get the concern with Tyree Kill. You got Frank Clark. You have all these issues of guys off the field. And I understand the concern. But at some point in time, you have to trust the Chiefs have vetted these players. They've done as much research as they humanly can. And in order to get the kind of edge on the field, that bad boy edge on the field that they want, that's going to come with some off-field inconsistencies, maybe some questionable pasts with a guy like Frank Clark who had a rough upbringing and just kind of was figuring out how to be an adult in without great role models growing up. That's going to happen. And if you vet this guy, if you feel like he's matured, that's fine. You can make that move. If you're looking for a physical, mean, tough team on the field, it's impossible to get 53 guys that can play that way on the field, step off the field, and also be Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. That just isn't possible. Yeah, it, it really is. And that's kind of delving maybe a little bit more into the uh, psychological, you know, the psychological part of all of this, trying to find players that are wired a certain way but know when it ends and when it doesn't. And, you know, I 
I get it. That's hard. I'm not excusing any criminal behavior or anything, and neither is Matt. None of us. Obviously, we want these guys not to be, you know, assholes, basically. Criminals. Yeah, criminals. (laughs) Uh, But the situation is, in this sport, the way the NFL has it set up, you will have players like that on this team. Good championships teams have some of these players on their team. Look at the Cowboys. Michael Irvin was a cocaine addict. <laughs> so uh, they they have a lot of players that weren't always the best guys, and that was a dynasty. I mean, those, those are teams that people are still talking about. Michael Irvin's still making tons of money, you know, I mean, as an analyst. But Dive into Chris Carter. Yeah. Even some of the Larry Fitzgerald rumors who people Absolutely. love. Like, there's stuff out Marvin there Harrison, allegedly. Ray right. Lewis, allegedly. You you step off the field, and it's hard to turn off this mentality that you've had to create within yourself to play football. Mm-hmm. Like You can watch these guys, and it's hard to see because they have helmets on. So you may need to pick a different avenue to watch it, whether that be another sport like a rugby. Or here's a good one that I think works. If you watch like the World's Strongest Man competition, and then this is – Bear with me for a second. Watch these guys as they get to the end of one of these events. The look on their face, the dark place that these guys go to in terms of the focus and what they're about to put their body through. You can understand how it's hard just to flip that off and never have it turned back on at any point in time. Like to have complete control of that is impossible. If you're trying to get a team that can turn themselves into this place where they're going to do whatever it takes to win on the football field, it's hard to guarantee that 53 players are going to be able to turn that off on the field. Now, you cannot get players like that. Mm-hmm. Then you run the risk of being called soft over and over again, like maybe the Dick Vermeil defense was a little bit. If you get all nice players, and I don't mean that players have to be mean or be a-holes, like Craig right. said, just it's there's different mentalities in players, and the Chiefs are clearly looking for a certain type. It's just hard to guarantee that everybody can say, okay, I'm not on the football field. That's no longer engaged whatsoever. And that's so I just need to see. Yeah, that's that's why you have to kind of float that narrative a little bit because it, it is. It, it's a lot to ask a fan base to take on this offseason. I get it. It really is a lot to ask a fan base to take on, especially with the history. I, I totally understand the concern. I totally understand the desire to not... I mean, I've even said multiple times, I'm getting tired about talking about non-football things about the football team. Like, the, that's no fun. Tiresome. Very tiresome. Yeah, it's no fun for anybody, and it sucks. And I, I, I get that. But at the same time, until this is proven multiple times to be the wrong avenue to go about it, this is just, unfortunately, the reality sometimes. So, anyway, my float, moving on from the uh, from that, we'll go to a little more the dark topic. lighthearted one. Uh, a lot of people still believe that this linebacker group is very bad. This isn't anybody specific. I just kind of get that vibe out there that the linebacker group is bad. And I'm not going to stick up for it and say that it's great. Because it's not. Anthony Hitchens has to have a good year. Reggie Ragland has to have a good year. Darren Lee has to have a good year. Same with Damian Wilson. It's kind of like the cornerbacks. You need all those guys to play at a better than level than they have recently to really make this defense tick. And I I get that. And that's I get the worry about the linebacker group. But at the same time, 
I like the young pieces that they have. I like the fits that some of these guys have in this defense, and I, especially better than Bob Sutton's defense. So I don't really look at this linebacker group and think, man, this is really bad. Now, it could be better for sure. They don't really have a real true leader in that group. I know Reggie Ragland's trying to take that over and that Anthony Hitchens is probably going to be the guy with the dot and kind of leading it out there on the field and organizing guys, but they don't really have a true identity necessarily in that linebacker room right now. So the concern is definitely there. I can definitely see them being a bad group. I can see the play on the field being similar to last year. And if that's the problem, or if that happens again, that's a major problem. And that linebacker group is bad in that situation. But I just don't really believe that they're going to be put in those types of situations. I think the talent level is just a little bit better than last year. So I, I'm, I'm going to float that narrative. Yeah, and I think this is kind of a perfect one to float because you just don't have enough information yet. The defense is changing. There's been a little bit more talent added. And even more so, the new scheme is just going to allow the talent we currently have to fit better. So you can't make that decision now. If you're going to break it down trait by trait, I can draw almost perfect parallels to where these guys can succeed under Steve Spagnuolo. Mm -hmm. I can also point you to plays last year where these guys were utter train wrecks. So you just kind of got to stand pat for now. You got to see if a new coaching staff, Matt House, Steve Spagnuolo, can get these guys on the same page. They got to communicate a lot better than they did last year. And they just have to understand what's being asked of them. And that's stuff that wasn't done last year. But that's also a lot of that isn't physical talent. So I don't think physical talent's the issue. It's just understanding everything that's being asked of you and being able to do, have the coaching staff ask you to do things that you can do well. And I think that's going to be much improved this year. Yeah, Matt House is going to put these guys in better chances to succeed than Bob Sutton did. We, we mentioned the type of stuff that Bob Sutton had them doing, reading defensive tackles, trying to climb over certain gaps, and then having to... That still hurts my head. ...read the running... Like, it, it, it's mind-boggling. Like, it really is mind-boggling. Matt House is hopefully not going to have these guys out here doing stuff like that. So I think we just... Yeah, like you said, I think we see a lot better situation for these guys to be into where they can maximize their talents. And that will do it for this week's episode of the AP Laboratory. Thank you as always for joining us, for listening, for watching, however it is that you uh, interact with us. We appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in each week. And uh, we'll catch you next week. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on mom? <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. 
you can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.